strengthening fathers. And I think we may have another one for foster parents or grandparents. I'm not too sure. But it won't start again till the end of September. And with those programs, at least with the families, you have to go through a social worker uh, and and then be uh, recommended. And then you go forward through an interview session with, with, the, with the coordinator. And um, in, this is going on six years I've been doing this now, and we've Jesus, been about 200 families. And also, I think there's another program I'll be working with, which is an art mentoring program, mm -hmm. in which I'll be the storyteller. And you're also starting a show over at CITR. Well, I think I'm going to have to talk to them about that, because I just was contacted to help work on a, a movie script. Wicked! Yeah. Right on, what's the movie yeah. script? <laughs> well, it's... Um, it's something that would probably end up on APTN. Nice. Uh, Excellent. So I can't really say much about it because I haven't read it yet. Do you want to give the storyline away? Oh, I, I haven't read it. Okay. It, I just I just received it on Friday, yeah, and I can't uh, wait to hear more about that because that is really your element. Welcome to the Arts Report for August 7th, 2013. Tonight on the show, we have Kristen Chung to tell us about the 24 Drawing Party, an event running a full 24 hours, August 10th and 11th. We'll fill you in on the last few days of the Queer Arts Festival and the literary reading Three's Company, a collaboration at Hogan's Alley. We'll get our Shakespeare on and play a tribute to visual artist and animator Paul Boyd on the anniversary of his death. Hi everybody, I'm your host for tonight, Sarah Lapsley. Thanks for tuning in. If you stay tuned in, and I hope you will, I'm giving away two tickets to a film, Blue Lace, at the Queer Arts Festival. That's pretty exciting, says me, so I'm going to tell you a bit more about that later. So, it's the, it's the dog days of summer, literally. So in common parlance, we use it all the time, but what does it mean? Um, and it refers to a period from about mid-July, mid-August. It changes, like, depending on the century. Um, and these days get their name from the dog star Sirius, which is the brightest star in the constellation of Canis Major. And during this period of time, the Sun and Sirius are in conjunction, and they rise and set around the same time. But Sirius sort of, sort of falls into hiddenness um, a few months prior, and so you don't see it anymore it's like behind the sun um, but the day comes and it's called the heliacal rising of Sirius where for the first time it comes out from behind the sun and rises before the sun and that day is today 
So let's celebrate the heliacal rising of the dog star Sirius. And the Egyptians celebrated this day as a very special um, because it always corresponded with the rising of the Nile, which meant sort of harvest and fruitfulness to them. Um, so one fun thing I did this last week, it was really fun, drove out with my friends to a little pub in Port Moody to see Widemouth Mason. Now, they were like a big can rock band in the 90s. Um, I never gave them much thought, like I kind of lumped them in with a lot of mainstream bands, kind of looked down my indie rock nose at them. Um, but the our friend and bass player, Matt, is the road manager and guitar tech for... Um, the bass player of Widemouth Mason, Gordy Johnson. So Gordy Johnson is better known for his work as the lead guy in Big Sugar, which is another can rock band. Um, and, and so we went to see Gordy Johnson perform in Widemouth Mason, and it was, like, so cool driving up to Port Moody. Like, I never go out there, but it was so cute and picturesque. These little cottages by the water, you just felt like... You were in the Maritimes or something um, in this kind of suburban pub. And I have to say, yeah, like I was totally blown away. I mean, the band as a whole were good. Um, the singer from Widemouth Mason, he's really great. Um, and, you know, they're kind of mainstream, but he's like an incredible singer. We're kind of elbowing each other going like he sounds like Dennis DeYoung. This sort of gives away our age. But um, I think he did sound like Dennis DeYoung. But it was Gordy Johnson on bass who just stole the show um he is so cool like he you know in the olden days in the 90s when he was doing his music he was sort of more gothy leather pants kind of long greasy hair um and now he's kind of more filled out kind of grayish hair it's like in a long two long braids like willie nelson in this this bandana and like denim kind of cowboy look um, and I can't believe he like went under my radar for all those years. So I don't think I've ever seen anyone as good on the bass ever as he is. Like he just owns that thing. He's like a monster on it. And I guess maybe that comes from him being a guitar player. He's sort of known for playing this signature double necked guitar. Um, and so it's just like, he's all over it. And I, th I don't know if their songs are that good as much as like, it's this groove that they get into and you're just like your whole body is kind of like undulating to the sound and he's Gordy Johnson's pretty heavily influenced you know by reggae heavy kind of blues rock the gospel um so he's still playing in Big Sugar he tours with Wide Mouth Mason he's got a new band out of Texas because he like lives part-time in Texas he's so cool um and that new band's called Grady um, he's a mega talent and he's the kind of guy who like does nothing but music. Like he's married to his manager and he probably just has a guitar in his hand, like from morning till night. And actually I was reading up a bit on him and he had to have surgery on his wrist because he had so much scar tissue built up. Um, but he was born May 23rd, 1964 in Winnipeg and he did really well with his bands and he's also written or co-written kind of hit songs and also produced tons of artists, including the beloved Joel Plaskett. Um, so I want to give you a taste of Gordy Johnson. I was going to play Grady, but mm, they weren't that good. Like, they're good, but I suspected they'd be like a band that would like be so incredible live and just you'd get into the rockin' kind of groove, but um, not so much, I think you know, in the recorded version, but they do have a gold girl drummer who plays these two giant kick drums. So I really liked her, but I think what I'm going to do instead, and I know it's kind of early to play a song, but you know what? I'm going to do that anyway, because it's my prerogative. I'm going to play a song. This is Gordy Johnson of Big Sugar playing kind of an acoustic song called Alberta Bones. So I'm just going to play that for you and then we're going to come back and I'm going to tell you about the Powell Street Festival that I went to on the weekend. Feels kind of like uh, hmm, the Delta Blues this morning. I don't mean that place in Mississippi I'm talking about where I stayed until 6 a.m. last night having a good time. That Delta Blues. I see a lot of people with the old Delta Hotel Blues this morning. <laughs> mm. It's just 
that cut off rather unexpectedly but you get the idea gordy johnson mm, i love him he's like all man so hopefully i'll get to meet him sometime so i wanted to talk about the powell street festival um that you know we spoke about it last week um and so i did go on the weekend but i did promise that i would always announce the song that i played just prior to the arts report intro so today i played protex blue by the clash um, from, I don't know, is it their their untitled album, their self-titled album? I don't know, but I had a dream about it, a cool, cool dream about it. And that's why I played The Clash. Um, and I did my little, I was just reflecting on my little book quote, like book segment last week. And I was like, man, that was, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that again. And like, I listened back to the podcast and it was like, I said the royal we and I was like, no, like, that's just, uh, no, it was like a crazy rant. I'm not going to do that again. So the Powell Street Festival, um, I went down there on the weekend. So just in case you don't know what the Powell Street Festival is, it's this big festival in historic Japantown. Um, and there's just everything that you might expect from sort of a street festival. It was like beautiful, hot, sunny day. And it was just so Vancouver in the best way this festival, the sense of community was really amazing. And the volunteers did an incredible job of cleaning up Oppenheimer Park. Like, you just don't go into Oppenheimer Park. It's just sketchy. And it was transformed. It was like, you know, lots of the same people that normally hang out in the park were there, but it was just full of life and you know, there are no needles like strewn on the ground. So it was just nice to enjoy it. Everyone was friendly in a good mood. 
I'm not big on the whole food cart thing because I can't stand the lineups. Like, they're just so long. And I'm not into this foodie, like, fussing over things. But I love good food, of course. But just, like, give me a plate of food and I don't want to stand in the beating hot sun to wait and get it. Um, but there, I have to say, there were some really good food carts there. I went conservative and I had just, like, veggie gyoza and some roasted corn in the cob. But there were tons of stuff to try, like, little red bean balls and chicken teriyaki and cool Japanese drinks and sake ice cream. A lot of vendor booths with Japanese clothes and dishes and accessories. Lots of traditional things, but lots of sort of colorful pop culture, tiny things. There was a kid's tent. Not sure what was happening in the kid's tent, but um, I think it was fun. Little tattoos and face painting. Uh, you could hear the occasional wailing of like an overstimulated child. Um, lots of booths put on by community organizations like dance troops or dojos. Um, a lot of charitable organizations. And I love to see l l festival goers in their traditional costumes, lots of performers doing martial arts or Japanese music and dances. It was sort of Vancouver's multiculturalism at its finest. People were really enjoying it. Adjacent, an adjacent street had more tents and booths where they had like calligraphy you could do. They had a DJ set up. I had sort of this peak experience in the sun like looking over the mountains and taking in the festival and the DJ, the DJ was playing like signed, sealed and delivered by Stevie Wonder. And I was just like, ah, oh, I want to play it on the show, but I can't because it's a hit signed, sealed, delivered. It was, uh, you know, yeah, nice to experience this historical area. And typically, as I said, you don't go down there. Um, but it, it was actually, you know, one of the, the first settled areas in Vancouver um, and as I looked north from the park, there was this block, and the whole block was one of the ever-so-rare blocks that are untouched um, from its original time, probably built in the early 20th century. And they were painted, these little wooden buildings, painted like a cheerful yellow with red Japanese writing. And I felt for a second like I was really back there in Japantown and the smells and the sounds. And, um, you know, the the community was just like this sense of generosity like they're so proud um and generous to share their beautiful culture with us and we're extra fortunate uh considering the shameful history that the canadian government has uh, most people know and if you don't know then you will soon find out that we sent uh the japanese to internment camps in the second world war um so in 1942 following the Pearl Harbor attack, the Canadian government gave the internment order, so under sort of the guise of saying that Japanese people might be sabotaging or engaged in espionage, um, they sent them all to camps. And these are people that helped build like the original British Columbia um, and had been immigrants for like, you know, 50, 60 years since Vancouver started. Um, and, you know, they had no proof of this so-called sabotage or espionage. And actually, I was very surprised to find out that um, David Suzuki, like our greatest Canadian, the environmentalist David Suzuki and scientist, and just like a wonderful saint on the living earth, um, was brought up in an internment camp and also the wonderful writer Joy Kawagwa. Um, so the Canadian government promised Japanese Canadians that they seized their property um, promised that these would be returned upon their release. However, these assets were sold off cheaply at auctions, and I don't think they ever got it back. Um, so despite this sort of widespread fear in the World War, um, there wasn't really, like, a Japanese invasion in the works, as people feared. Japanese Canadians were not a threat to national security. It took until 1988 for the Canadian government, and I think it was Brian Mulroney, uh, gave a formal apology and announced the details of compensation to the affected citizens. So um, this is paltry compensation. Um, and I think it was about $20,000 per person who had lived in the internment camps. And those who had passed away didn't receive any compensation. Like that could have gone to their beneficiaries, but it didn't. Um, and I discovered a place I had never heard of back at the Powell Festival, um, and picked up some of their literature. And this is the Nikai National Museum and Cultural Center. It's in Burnaby, and I've lived here for like 20 years, never heard of it. 
but it pres- it's a community center and museum, and they preserve extensive Japanese-Canadian artifacts, archives, historical photographs. They have contemporary art exhibitions, and they provide uh, education about Japanese history in Vancouver and the internment, and they do things like walking tours. Um, and they're so, like, kind about it. There's no bitterness. It's just like, you know, they, you know they're sharing that information. Um, but it's like the most welcoming place. And they have fairs and other special events. They have awesome weekly programming. You can sign up for like sushi cooking courses, tea ceremony workshops. They've got language classes, martial arts meditation. And it's all like really reasonably priced, you know, compared to what you pay for that kind of thing, even in like the okay the phone's ringing and I just like I don't know how to answer it um so sorry that stresses me out um anyway you can check all that out at nikaiplace.org so there's another literary event I want to tell you about um and it's coming up on Monday August 12th I'd hope to get somebody on for this event it didn't work out um Some people were shy. Some people were busy. Um, But it is at Hogan's Alley. It's between 6 and 8 p.m. on Monday, August 12th. And it's a collaboration of readings by Ray Sue, Kevin Spenced, and Leanne Dunnick. Um, And Hogan's Alley is in historic Chinatown. And Ray, and so I guess they'll read from their various works. Ray Sue has over 10 years' experience Um, doing sort of consulting about creativity and writing. He's published two award-winning books um, and has published all over the world. And I was really interested to find out this and quite sad. uh, I couldn't have him on today, but hopefully at some point in the future, he's given talks on creativity, education, and leadership um, for over 10 years, including, you know, the CBC, Chicago Public Radio, Globe and Mail, um, and... Yeah, he does a lot of mentoring at retreats and seminars and does like this art song lab, an interdisciplinary platform to create fusions across poetry, music and performance. And he also did this wonderful thing, um, the prison writing workshop, teaching in a U.S. prison for two years. He showcased incarcerated writers and performers in print and on public radio. Like, how cool is that? I just love this guy. And you can check him out at thewayofray.com and also at The Way of Ray on Twitter. So he'll be performing at this event, um, August 12th at Hogan's Alley. I'm definitely, definitely going. Sometimes I say I'm going to go, but I don't go. I'm definitely going because my friend Leanne Dunnick is one of the writers, and she's only 30 years old, um, but she's one of the most accomplished and prolific artists that I know like every day she has new ideas and now projects and new projects in like various mediums. She's highly creative. I can't wait to see what she does over the next 10 years. Um, she's very stylish and sophisticated. She has excellent taste in everything. She was a former model. Um, she will likely read from a few of her works, but primarily she'll be sharing a very intimate and amusing part of her life um, in a piece called Polyamory. And you might think that refers to simultaneous uh, multiple romances. But in her case, it refers to her fantasy relationship with superstar Paul McCartney. I'm just laughing. I know her well. And it's like Paul is some kind of spirit guide or animus that lives in her psyche. Um, Her obsession started as a small child and she knows everything about Paul. Um, And she has very intense dreams, often erotic, about Paul McCartney, like every single night. Um, And I've been encouraging her to write the dreams down. And when Paul performed here last September, she went and it was like this huge event in her life um, and was an amazing experience for her. So um, she'll be reading and talking about Paul McCartney in Three's Company, a collaboration at Hogan's Alley on August 12th. Um, and it should be interesting and poignant. So you can check out more on Leanne Dunnick's work at leannedunnick.com. 
And Leanne also, like, on top of being a great writer, is in a band called Luck Commander. And I think that has a very nice ring to it. They're really influenced by 70s rock, like Badfinger, Cheap Trick, Big Star. And I wanted to play a little something of them. Now, this is essentially a rough mix recorded at uh, John Collins and Dave Carswell's studio with Gregory McDonald from Sloan Producing. Now, it does sound pretty Sloany to me. It's called Hot Hot Dawn, and it's been entered um, on the CBC uh, Summer Song Contest. So if you like it, you can go to the site and vote for it. Just Google CBC Summer Song Contest, contest and it should come up. So here's Leanne Denick on vocals. She is singing Hot Hot Dawn by her band Luck Commander. Latin Summerfest is firing up the drums and dance floors on Sunday, August 18th at Trout Lake Park. Vancouver's hottest family fun features Tobasco, Nova Sol, Eddie de Pont, and Adonis Puentes. For details, go to latinsummerfest.com.
The Vancouver Queer Film Festival marks 25 years of celebrating queer lives this August 15th to 25th. Featuring over 70 films from 20 countries, from Hollywood to Bollywood, drama to documentary, indie cinema to big-budget offerings, there's something for everyone. Tickets on sale July 22nd. For parties, previews, tickets, and more, visit QueerFilmFestival.ca. Hi, we're back on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm your host for this evening, Sarah Lapsley. So, if you email us at arts at CITR.ca, you can win two tickets to Lace Bite, playing at the Queer Film Festival on Saturday, August 17th at 7 p.m. You can also tweet us at CITR underscore arts report, and you can win these tickets. So, like, first come, first serve caveat you have to come to the station and pick them up in person they're paper tickets so um, if you're prepared to do that you won't be disappointed lace bite is a documentary i know there's documentary fans out there and it's about a group of women who play the equivalent of three nhl regular seasons in 10 days so this hockey marathon Um, they made a promise to a dying friend uh, who had cystic fibrosis so they play a guinness world record-breaking ice hockey game um and so it takes us through their challenges and injuries and ups and downs uh, as they pursue this goal so it looks really good so yeah don't call because i can't answer the phone i promise by next time i do this i will answer the phone um and if it's like dead air mom please email me that's like my big fear oh god everything looks like it's on okay I have another event to tell you about. Um, I had a great chat with Kristen Chung today. She's one of the organizers of the 24-hour drawing party. And it's a free collaborative neighborhood drawing event where community members are invited to Project Space. Um, that's in um, Chinatown. To draw, paint, doodle, share ideas, and meet other community members. It's open to all, including residents of Chinatown, seniors, young families, and members of the general public so it'll be open for 24 hours so from august 10th at noon to august 11th at noon and scout magazine says that the 24-hour drawing party is one of the things you absolutely must do over the next week so here's Kristen to tell you all about it here she is Kristen chung she's also like a successful kind of arts woman works for different arts organizations and and we talk about that as well she's really interesting so here she is Okay, so the 24-hour drawing party is at Project Space, and it starts from August 10th at noon to um, Sunday, August 11th at noon. So it's 24 hours, and there'll be workshops happening um, throughout the day and throughout the night, actually. And, um, yeah, we'll be providing beverages and snacks so people can hang out all day and eat and hang out and We'll be providing all the utensils, like all the, like, pencil crayons, markers, paper, um, and, like, different mediums, like Chinese calligraphy, um, sorry, uh, because it is in Chinatown, and that's, like, a traditional Chinese uh, drawing instrument or writing instrument. And, um, yeah, and it's just kind of to engage the community that is in Strathcona, Chinatown. Everyone from, like, little people, like, little children, so there's lots of families to like Chinese residents, Chinese seniors that are like right next door to Project Space and also like the local artist community. And there's lots of artists and um, art galleries and um, yeah, just like kind of a big gathering of people to do something that's really easy and really accessible, which is drawing and doodling and kind of playing around with, um, yeah, pencil crayons and markers and everything. So it's just kind of a big party for uh for everyone in that neighborhood and yeah so i guess you'll have like waves of like the younger people and then maybe the older folks in the day and then at night like the late night crowd yeah it should be interesting to see the type of people that are coming because i can totally see yeah lots of young people coming in the morning but maybe lots of families or maybe lots of like like seniors coming in the morning when they're um doing their grocery shopping or the seniors might come down and party with us at night like I don't know it's it's hard to tell but um, I think that's what's exciting about it is because 
I don't think an event like this has ever happened like in that area um, in this type of discipline. So it's, it'll be, yeah, interesting to see. Yeah. So like you don't know what's going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's exciting about it is that we have some plans of what's going on, but I, I don't know exactly what's going And I think that's exciting and, and new and refreshing and, and I think is what's needed too, you know. Good. Um, and so you're quite involved in the arts community in various ways. Tell me a little bit about that and some of the projects you're specifically involved with. Yeah, I'm part of, I guess how this project started was actually, I'm a board member for Project Space, actually. And this conversation um, for an event happened in a Project Space like board meeting a few months ago. Um, so I'm on the board of Project Space. So that's kind of one of many things I do. I also... Uh, I'm the managing editor of Rice Saber Magazine, which is an Asian-Canadian arts and culture magazine. Um, and I also work full-time for a theater company for Gateway Theater in Richmond. And I uh, do lots of volunteer work with various organizations, like Arts in Vancouver, which is for young professionals to get involved in arts. And, um, yeah, various things like Project Space. And, yeah. And so what's like what drives you to do all those things or what's so important to you about the arts? What's so important about the arts? I think um, the arts is really important to us because it's just a way for us to express ourselves and it's just like creative outlet um, for for anyone. It doesn't have to be like a young person in their 20s. It could be someone older who's of, you know, of an ethnic descent or it could be um, a super young person who's like six years old and it, it's just like one of the few things that I've come across in my life that is has no barriers there's no there's no limits to what you can do if it's theater if it's um, literary arts if it's writing like a poem or if it's painting or if it's um, creating a sculpture like there's no right or wrong like answer and um, you can do it anywhere and, and um in any discipline and mm-hmm. I think that's what's so exciting about the arts and I think it's really important because it's I don't know it's kind of who we are like we all have jobs and we all have day jobs and it gets kind of boring but the arts is kind of the only I don't know for me um the thing that kind of drives me to kind of be like doing something like special in my life or doing something different or doing something not boring because yes yeah, it's just not monotonous or it can never be <laughs> I think yeah, so it adds, like, this richness to life. Mm-hmm, yeah, exactly, yeah. And so in your own creative work or practice, what kind of things do you do or themes are interesting to you? Um, my own creative work, I would probably say I'm, I, I find myself a more of a facilitator of creative work than an actual practitioner, uh, which is kind of a weird thing to say. Uh, so... I like to kind of like plan or like facilitate and like manage and other people's projects. Um, so if someone says, "Oh, I want to do this this event. I want to put on this event," and I would say, "Okay, let's do that. Let's like throw on this party because it's awesome." And I feel like that's my own practice is like making sure other people's like amazing projects go. Um, kind of like an arts manager, I guess, or like arts facilitator. Um, but in terms of like actual arts practicing, I kind of practice like visual arts and painting um, sometimes. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I do. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really important, like bringing things into being. Mm-hmm. People yeah, come to exactly. you with ideas. and Yeah, so yeah. And so are you involved in fundraising at all for any of these projects? Yeah, so I am... That's my job at Gateway Theater is I'm actually, I actually work in the fundraising department. Um, so I am the corporate giving coordinator. So what I do is I write grants and I also develop uh, sponsorships uh, for, um, I guess, in the corporate giving portfolio. So that's my day job is actually just fundraising for Gateway Theater, for theater. And my side job is basically um, working at Rice Paper. So a lot of what I do is also administrative at Rice Paper, but also writing grants to put together the magazine and for projects and festivals um, that we have coming up. You like grant writing. Yeah, I love grant writing. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's actually like a very underrated um, thing to do all the time. I don't know. I think it's like 
you just have to like um, answer a few questions and you send it in by a certain day and then you wait for it and then you know you may or may not get money and um, I think it's I think it's one of the things that everyone or all arts or artists or art practitioners should should really like get to know because I mean there's actually lots of funding out there that um, people can tap into and um, and like funders want you to tap into them like um, you know foundations um, government agencies and funders like they want you to apply for grants like that's their job is to like hand out money so so why not like tap into that pool you know yeah no kidding and so what are some of your favorite things right now like in life or creatively or um my favorite things right now creatively i actually would have to say i guess i have a soft spot for chinatown obviously with this event being in chinatown so Creatively, I would say the Chinatown Night Market is probably one of my new favorite things right now. I've probably into 90% of the the events and weeks that it's been going on. Um, I think it's one of my favorite things because it, it kind of, it's not just a night market for Chinatown. I feel like it's more like representative of the current um, cultural landscape of what Chinatown is right now. So it's not just like dim sum restaurants and karaoke for Chinese seniors, it's kind of, it's like ping pong, it's like the pie shop that's open down the street, or it's um, Project Limelight, which is on Georgia Street, or it's, um, you know, like vintage stores that are also in Chinatown. <laughs> so, like, it's more, like, representative of what Chinatown is like right now, and I think it's not just a night market to sell your goods, but it's more like a cele- celebration of what um, our landscape is like right now, and we're just, like, we're kind of it's just putting, pulling everyone together into, like, a community where we can all just hang out and be friends and get to know each other as opposed to, like, having your storefronts on the street and then just having each storefront be their own little silo. My name is Natasha. I am a robot now. I am playing with my breast again. Nothing to do, nothing to do. Sometimes I listen to Misery Hour with Hans Close Wednesday at 11 before midnight. I don't think I like it. Need help moving into your new place? At Practicar Rent-A-Rec, we offer budget-minded individuals the opportunity to think economy with reliability, thrifty pricing, and value for your dollar. All you need is to be 19 or older and have a valid driver's license. For a cheap set of wheels, go to azureautogallery.ca or call 604-232-9873. That's 604-232-9873. Hey, we're back on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Arts Report, and I'm your host for tonight, Sarah Lapsley. So I just played my interview with Kristen Chung. She is putting on the 24-hour drawing party, a free neighborhood event um, where you can go to the project space and draw, paint, doodle, share ideas, meet people. Um, And so that's uh, August 10th at noon and running a full 24 hours to August 11th at noon and the project space is in Chinatown at 222 East Georgia Street Um, you can check out their Facebook page for details so I wanted to talk now about something else Shakespeare Um, we have Bard on the Beach going on so everybody knows like it's a summer festival Um, You can check out what's happening on their website, bardonthebeach.org. I haven't gone to anything yet. I wanted to. It's reasonably priced, and what better location than Vanier Park, looking over the mountains and the water, the most beautiful city of Vancouver. Um, In this season, they're doing Twelfth Night, Measure for Measure, Timothy Findlay's Elizabeth Rex, and Hamlet. But why would you pay money to watch Jaded Professionals do Hamlet? when you can watch teens do Hamlet. That's right, you can watch teenagers do Hamlet for free. Carousel Theatre for Young People is putting on Hamlet this summer. They've actually been running it already from July 26th through to August 10th, so you've still got three nights to see it. It runs 7.30 p.m. um, outdoors. Performance works on Granville Island. You can't miss it. It's you just sit on that grassy knoll, um, and yeah, it's a steampunk version of Hamlet. Um, so yeah, like why not go? I went 
a few years ago, my friend's kid was a teen in the Scottish play, uh, Macbeth, and it was really well done. I was really impressed. Um, so I just said the Scottish play, but that's Macbeth, but you're not supposed to say it due to a curse. And I kind of looked up the curse thing, you know, because I like that. Um, those who believe in the curse claim that real spells are cast in the three witches seen in the play. Um, so there's various superstitions that talk about it. But according to the superstition, Shakespeare got a few of the lines from an actual coven of witches, so their actual ritual text. And when they saw the play, they were greatly offended and cursed the play. Um, another version goes that the prop master in the original play couldn't find a cauldron, so he stole one from a local coven who cursed the play. Um, and so if you break the taboo, they think it calls the ghost of the three witches to the show and they cause these various mishaps and accidents. Um, and of course, now other people have said, well, all these things explain why there's more mishaps, like they have more say, weaponry in the play than most other plays, etc. But I don't know, it's more fun to think of it as a curse. So if you speak the name of the play in a theater, tradition requires the person who spoke it to leave and they have to perform traditional cleansing rituals like say things or turn around three times. And they can only come back in the theater when they're invited back. Um, but this isn't a theater, this is a studio. Um, so it's okay that I said it. Um, but anyways, I was really impressed by the performance of the teens. Um, and like, you know, I barely understand Shakespearean English and they delivered it perfectly. And like, it seemed like they understood it. So yeah, definitely. You don't want to miss the steampunk version of Hamlet running the Grenville Island um, outdoors. You can check it out at carouseltheater.ca. Um, and yeah, just just a little riff here. I'm a proponent of the Baconian theory of Shakespeare authorship. So you can look that up on Wikipedia, but it's this belief that William Shakespeare was not the author of these incredible canon of works, that it was in fact Francis Bacon, who was a great humanist writer, politician, uh, aristocrat in the Elizabethan times. Um, and in fact, it was believed by some that he was actually the illegitimate child of Queen Elizabeth I and her lover, um, Lord Dudley. Um, and that might actually be true. Of course, she would never own it, but uh, he lived a very, uh, like, high, he lived the high life in that time. Uh, he had a lot of standing, and he was a very brilliant man, highly educated and a genius. Yet Shakespeare, who we think of as Shakespeare, was uneducated. And I just, I don't believe that some guy from a village could write Shakespeare. Like, no one has even come close in 400, 500 years to writing anything. Now, I'm just, like, really out of my depth here, but I don't think, I just don't think it's possible, because like, no one can come close. Maybe some people have, but I haven't read those people. I don't know. Another person that is sort of a contender for possible Shakespeare authorship is Edward de Vere, the 17th Earl of, can't remember, but he died on June 24th at some point. But it was funny because I was writing this script June 24th, and I was like, oh, it's creepy. Uh, 399 years, June 24th. Uh, anyways, the writings of Shakespeare are still thrilling audiences today down at Vanier Park. Um, so anyways, that's just my stupid rant. Okay, I want to talk about the uh, Queer Arts Festival. It's been a huge hit. Megan has been there every single day. She'll be coming back soon. Uh, there's a couple of days left to enjoy. Um, so I think the Pride was just a stunning, you know, time for everybody. Lots of good times, great weather. And I really hated to miss the big gay sing. Like, I like to say that. The big gay sing. Like, after the Pride at the Queer Arts Festival at the Roundhouse, they had, like, you could just go and sing with a bunch of other people fun songs. And that sounded so fun. But there was just, like, no way I was going to venture downtown um, on, on that day. But there's a couple of things. Tomorrow night, Dance Out Loud. It's an open studio performance presenting the results of Dance Out Loud workshops that they've been having, followed by a moderated talkback session. Um, and there's also two more performances of When the Sun Comes Out, and I think that's tonight. 
at 7.30 and also the 9th at 7.30. Um, and if you recall, I had someone on last week talking about the opera it was commissioned just for the Queer Arts Festival. Um, and it's about sort of set in um, a fictional land where people are prosecuted for being gay and it's about the love between two women um so it's supposed to be really good so you have a chance to see that tonight at 7 30 at the roundhouse and the ninth and following the performance of when the sun comes out on the night there's like a closing party at the roundhouse so um that'll be sad that it's over but the queer film festival is up next so um, i'm glad we got to cover that um and megan will i'm sure tell you much more about it so I'm just going to play something here. I want to talk about something. And the content is a bit um, disturbing. And I have this thing like on file here, content warning, listening, listener advisory. And I'm, I don't know what it is in this file, but I'm just going to play it so I can cover myself because I am going to talk about something that's disturbing. Please remember to watch your language. Look, I can't speak without swearing. And I've only got my grade 10. And I haven't had a cigarette since I've been arrested. And I'm ready to f***ing snap. So I'd like to make a request under the People's Freedom of Choices and Voices Act that I'd be able to smoke and swear in your courtroom. Because if I can't smoke and swear, I'm f***ed. The following programming may contain content that some listeners find offensive. If you are sensitive to foul language or explicit content, please turn your radio the f*** off now. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say um, it's offensive content, but it's upsetting content. Um, I want to talk about a topic that's very dear to my heart, um, and that's the artist Paul Boyd. He was born September 30th, 1967. Um, he was a member of the production team for the Cartoon Network's longest-running hit TV series, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, as the title sequence animator and director. He began his career working for the International Rocket Ship on two Gary Larson specials. During his career, he taught at the Vancouver Film School um, and worked at a number of animation studios. He, his work directing The Mr. Hell Show was nominated for an Annie Award. He, in his youth, sort of was thought to have an unusual gift for expression in the visual arts. Uh, he was passionate about his work and highly regarded by his friends and family. Um, and according to his family, Boyd was friendly, gentle, intelligent, humorous, and compassionate. Yet Paul is not remembered for his artistic work, but rather for his tragic and dramatic and unnecessary death on August 13th, 2007. Um, I feel a strong link to Paul for two reasons. One was we were both diagnosed with manic depression and have lived with it for a long time. And two, I was witness to his death, which unfolded on Granville and 16th in the middle of the road. I've done some writing on the topic, but I'll stick with a shortened, cleaned up version uh, based more on the Wikipedia entry, just to remain unbiased as possible. Um, Boyd was diagnosed with manic depression in his 20s, and he did receive treatment throughout and was very stable. Um, but during the evening of August 13th, 2007, Boyd was seeking medical treatment at two clinics on Granville Street in Vancouver. He hadn't been doing well. Even though he had taken his medication that day, he was acting paranoid, bizarrely. He was addressing strangers as friends and shouting loudly. So that would indicate he was having a manic episode. A witness on the sixth floor apartment sort of saw Boyd sitting on his backpack and shouting, and so the the witness thought that the backpack was an actual person and believed that Paul was assaulting somebody and called the police. Um, that wasn't the case. It was his backpack. So it was the beginning of this uh, thing. Um, so two plainclothes police officers arrived. They didn't identify themselves, but one officer drew his weapon and ordered Paul to lie down, which he did. Another officer approached to handcuff him, but Paul sprang up and struck the officer on the temple. So um, the officer fell down but came back up to standing immediately. So then two other officers arrived. Paul grappled with one of them and then attempted to flee the scene. So when someone's manic, they're usually psychotic, very distorted thinking, um, and can become aggressive, there's no question. Um, 
So as Paul was running away, this is exactly the time I pulled up in my car into a parking spot at 15th and Granville, like I was going to meet my boyfriend at the time for dinner on a nice summer evening. Uh, As I turned off the ignition and looked up, the other officer, uh, Constable Lee Chipperfield, drew his weapon and began shooting. So the shots were like coming in my direction and, and I ducked down underneath the dashboards. Um, so there were reports from the police that Boyd had begun swinging a bicycle chain at the officer, but forensic tests failed to show he'd been swinging a chain, although witnesses, including myself, did see him swinging something, and they did find a small bicycle chain at the scene. Um, Chipperfield fired nine shots in total, with eight hitting Boyd. The final shot was fired, uh, when Boyd was crawling on the street unarmed. Um, and so... He was incapacitated when these final shots were fired. Um, So there was a bunch of inquests. So initially, the investigation by the Vancouver Police Department, um, those were passed to the criminal justice branch, which decided not to prosecute. Uh, The police said there had not been excessive use of force. Um, The coroner's inquest then uncovered details which hadn't been touched on in the criminal justice branch report. And so David Ebby, who just a few months ago unseated Liberal Premier Christy Clark in her own writing, um, filed a complaint uh, through the BC Civil Liberties Association alleging that excessive force had been used. So this dismissed this claim was dismissed as well um, until a video surfaced. So these Dutch tourists had filmed it all on their camera and then gone home. But like six years, five, six years later, they... Um, finally submitted the footage and it showed new evidence that uh, Boyd had in fact been um, incapacitated when the 8th and eighth and ninth sort of fatal shot was fired. So then in light of this new evidence, um, the Alberta Serious Incident Response Team was asked to review the case again and I was actually contacted by them, um, but I didn't really have anything new to add to my testimony. So at this point, they've completed their investigation and they've uh, The Deputy Attorney General has appointed a lawyer to decide on the basis of the report if further investigation is necessary and if charges will be laid against any of the officers. I don't think uh, they will be. My guess is that it's just going to go away. But um, Paul's family has been so gracious about this. Like, they did not blame. uh, They just grieved their son. And they did not you know, sue or badmouth the police or anything. They are just lovely people. I've been asked to do some media interviews about it. I just decided not to. I'm quite neutral, and sometimes, you know, the media will push you into taking an extreme position. I, you know, I know the police don't want to go out and shoot someone on their shift. Um, at the same time, Paul Boyd didn't have to die, and his last moments were just utterly tragic, and they're emblazoned on my mind forever. Um, but of course, it's motivated me in my own uh, work and research. It's sort of like every manic depressive person's nightmare that you would get so sick despite taking your medication and end up in a situation like this. So Paul Boyd, I wish this had never happened to you. I wish you had stayed home that night. I wish you never had manic depression. I wish you could have lived to continue being a great person and a great artist. I wish I could have done something to help you in the moment. So I'm dedicating this next song to you. Um, It's my absolute number one favorite song of all time. Um, And it's called Rock and Roll Ghost by the legendary band The Replacements. And then I'm going to be back to say goodbye. To 
Hey, this is Sarah. We're on CITR 101.9 FM. Well, that's kind of it for the Arts Report. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, please tweet us at CITR underscore Arts Report and claim two tickets to Lace Bite August 17th at 7 p.m. the Queer Film Festival in Vancouver. Or you can email us at arts at citr.ca to get those tickets, although you do have to come up to UBC to get them. Um, Megan will be back next week, I think, and then I'm going to be back sometime soon, maybe the next week, and we're gearing up big time for the fall. There's lots going on. Um, So I'm going to sit here and kind of wrap up in the studio, but after that I'm going to kind of a get-together. Toby and Maya from the band The Gay live in Toronto, but they're in town, and so I thought I just wanted to leave off playing The Gay. Um, I'm just going to play like three of their songs um, as I kind of wrap up here. So I'm going to play Opulent Canine is the first one, Critics, Vacation, and then I think it's just going to be like random tunes until 6.30 when um, someone comes in. So thank you so much for tuning in. See you next week. Join us again between 5 and 6 p.m. on the Arts Report. So here they are, the gay, again. Let's see what happens on the CD player. Keep on rocking, everybody.